see a lot of guests, visitors, people, and maybe your first time. But this is a new recorder. So let's hope we do this right. That is going to fall. Like, I anticipate that. I'm afraid of that. I'm going to break it the first week it's been commissioned. You must Man, and, and look, we know this time of year where you guys are like two weeks out from finals, is that right? Yeah. Have people heard? No? How, yes, are you two weeks out? Like, yeah. you have like two weeks. And this is like time everybody's a little bit tired, uh, working extra hours before Christmas, especially if you're in retail or anything like that. This is a time where it would be really easy for you to be drowsy on a Sunday morning, is my point. Right? Uh, but let's not be, let's be focused in on God's Word. And today, there's a real danger, especially with this portion of text we're in, for us to treat this very academically. And uh, that's, I mean, I don't want that. Um, just coming to learn a little bit about God's chosen people and what His plan is and His strategy, and that's great and all. But if it doesn't spark in us a desire to believe God and to trust Him for more, then we are essentially wasting our time this morning. Okay, and so let's be in prayer. Now, before, before I pray, before we begin, I do want to tell you uh, that if you plan on coming to Mission Focus, you do need to register. Okay, and I, I looked around at everyone uh, in Kaya when Sam said that earlier, and no one budged. No one got their phone out, no one did anything, which means one of two things. A, you've already registered, or the more likely one, B, you need to take the one minute that's required of you to register for Mission Focus. 60 seconds of time in your life. You could, like even right now as I'm speaking, you could be registering for Mission Focus and it wouldn't, you wouldn't miss anything from the message. Yeah? Cool. Cool. Active. Active group this morning. Cool. All right. Let's pray. Everybody, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. Today's message is titled, uh, Israel's Future Redemption. Israel's Future Redemption. And this might end up being a two-part message if I know myself. This will probably be a two-week thing. Uh, but we'll see how far we get today, okay? Ready? Pray for me, alright? My guts hurt. I don't know what it is. I think I ate something funny. So I need, I need extra help from the Holy Spirit this morning, okay? Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for you. And we're thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. The reason that we're here this morning is because you saw fit uh, to reach a people who were hard to reach, a people who weren't even looking for you, a people um, that, Lord, in times past were wandering and worshiping false idols. And you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to tear down the boundaries and the barriers of religion that you might reach me. Uh, a Gentile, a person who's not of a, of a Jewish lineage, because you love me. And, um, and so, Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful that it did reach me. And that I had a Sunday school teacher who, who told me about you. And, uh, Lord, what you've done in my life since then, um, I could never have imagined uh, as, as a young child, Lord, who I would become. And all the, the, the hurdles and all the world and experiences that I've come in contact with, things that intended to deter me from the path. And uh, yet, Lord, You have been gracious with me, and You've taught me what faith is. And so, Lord, this morning I I re-consecrate myself to You. And, uh, Lord, I I ask for forgiveness. Anything that I've allowed this week to get in the way of worshiping You, God, I I lay that before You and ask that You would help me. 
um, that my faith might grow, and that, uh, Lord, the people in Kaya, uh, the people called, uh, the people that you've set apart for this work, Lord, that you would, you would also give them strength to believe you for more, to trust you for more, that you would open their mouths, Lord. We, we had a salvation this weekend on UMKC campus because some people were willing to open their mouths and speak the truth of the gospel. And if we don't do that, Lord, um, God forbid, help us. Uh, help us to be evangelical. Help us to believe You for, your, for what Your Word says. We need help from You this morning and from Your Spirit. We ask all of this in Your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, now, we are in Romans chapter 11. There's 16 chapters in Romans. And... If if you're just now joining us, like if maybe this is your first week or you've been coming maybe off and on for the last few weeks or months, and, and it feels like today that you don't have a context for what is being shared, I, I want to say something to you, okay? Uh, I teach public education, and in public education, uh, there was a, an act passed a long time ago called No Child Left Behind. Okay, and I and I've brought that into my ministry. I, I don't. It's not my desire that you would be left behind. I want you to fully understand everything that we're talking about. And it's really hard to jump in the middle of a book. Who picks up a book and reads starting in the middle? No one does that. And so, bear with me. I'm going to do my best to help you to understand where we're at, Charles. Cool. My dude, Charles is here. Charles is in my art class, at least in the West. So it's exciting he's here. So I'm going to do my best to give you a context for where we're at. Okay? But the thing that I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to keep coming back to Kaya. Like if you know in your mind that you need to grow in God's Word and you want to learn it, you've got to be here consistently. And so, so please, don't just come one time and be like, well, I, I have no idea what he was talking about. The Jewish people and the covenants and all that business. I don't know what he's talking about. Listen to me very carefully. Please keep coming. I mean, that's what I did. Okay? I don't have any special degree or anything like that. I just learned how to teach the Bible through coming and hearing about the Bible. And so, please, just, just keep coming. I, I want to encourage you to do that. And the last thing is, uh, I want you to write down questions that you have. Okay, if you've got questions today, if there's something in the message that, that, that doesn't quite make sense to you, write your question down and take that to your Bible study in, in the next week or two. And take it to your Bible study leader and say, I, I heard Brandon say this, or I was reading the Word and this didn't make sense. Make sure you're bringing those questions to Bible study so that they can be addressed. Okay, does that make sense? So let's talk just briefly about what Romans has been like up to this point. And so I'm going to show you kind of where we've been. Is that all right? Um, and so, in the first eight chapters of Romans, what we have is a letter that Paul wrote, that Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Rome. Okay? And, and, and in the early church, there was a real mixture. Rome was a place, a metropolitan city was a place where there was lots of different types of people. And you had Gentile people, people who came from a background of worshipping false idols and came from a background of paganism, who've come to salvation and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they're just learning about what faith in Jesus, what that really means. And then you have Jewish people, uh, people who lived in Rome, people that were doing business there, who were also accepting Jesus Christ, and who had a background uh, and a lineage rooted in the Old Testament law, and they had a history of spirituality, and the two came in collision with each other. The two were, were, were colliding at the, place of, at the feet of Jesus Christ, and they didn't really know how to, how to handle that. They didn't know how to think about it. They didn't know what to do. 
And Paul writes this letter, longing to come to Rome and to teach them, but in the meantime, he wants to make clear the basic doctrines of our salvation. He wants to clarify on the Gospels. He wants to clarify on the message that they've received. What does it mean, and practically, how is it lived out? And the first eight chapters really address that. And if you're real interested in learning about that, all of the audio should be online on Kaya's website, kaya.live. You can go back and listen to, to the series. But where we're at now is we're in this section of Scripture where Paul is focusing his attention on just, the, just these new Jewish believers. And he's anticipating the, the questions that Jewish Christians might be having. Okay? Primarily, why is it, Paul, why is it that the Jews aren't following after Jesus? And, and beyond that, Paul, we don't understand what's going to happen to all of those promises that God made to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, what happens to all those covenants? What happens to all those promises? Now that Jesus has come and we look around and the Jews aren't following after the Messiah that, that was long anticipated. God coming to the world, we we'd expected it from long, long ago. And, and now He's come, and He's come into the world, and we've seen Him, and He died, and He rose again, and we've seen that take place. What's going to happen to our brethren? who've not received it, what's going to come of the Jewish people? And in Romans chapter 9, we see Israel in the past. And what Paul does is he breaks down the history of Israel. And he says, he says that all of these promises related to God's sovereign election of the nation of Israel, they still apply. God, God, God saw long time ago the faith of Abraham. Okay, just one man's faith. And in response to Abraham's faith, he determined that he was going to raise up a nation of people that would glorify him in all the earth. He determined that. And for them came many, many different promises. Many, many different things that God extended to the Jewish people as a special people in the world that were not for the rest of the world. They were not for the other nations. They were for the Jewish people ex uh, explicitly. Okay, you with me so far? And what we do is when we look at Romans chapter 9, we see Paul talking about how God preserved his promises. Look at how God preserved his promise in Isaac. Look at how God preserved his promise in Jacob. Look at how God stood on your behalf in the midst of Pharaoh and his oppression. And so what, what Paul's doing is he's arguing the fact that God has always been there for you and he always will. He's telling the Jewish people, look, 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 I know that it feels like things are different, but God will always be there for you because His promises are true. And my point to you is this, as Christians, as Gentile Christians in a completely different context, we should recognize that God's promises are always sure. For us, the application should be, yeah, when God says something, He means it. And He keeps His promises. You know, the funny thing is, day to day, we don't actually believe that. We struggle with it. As Christians, we struggle to believe that God's promises that He's extended to us, the specific ones for the church, they're just not, they're not true. They're not true in my life. When I look around and I see all the trouble I'm against or, or the day-to-day -day grind of Christian life, sometimes I forget how true God's promises are for me. I forget that there's a, there's a, a kingdom waiting for me, that there's a place, and that I will answer for the things that I've done. I forget those things, that there's promises for me. And we need to know that, that God's promises, both for the Jewish people and for the Gentile Christians, are sure, they're true. Mm -hmm. 
Then in chapter 10, we see Israel in the present. Okay? So we looked back. Okay? And now we're looking at the present. And Paul goes on in chapter 10 to give us the answer for the salvation of every Jew. It's an individual salvation. Paul makes it clear that as long as the present age, the age of the church is, in, is intact, and we're living in this time, God is concerned with the Jewish people making individual decisions to follow Him, just like we do. Okay? Now the cool thing about chapter 10 is it gives us the clearest, the clearest uh, presentation of the gospel and salvation, maybe in the entirety of Scripture. And what Paul says in chapter 10 is like, for Jew and for Gentile both, if you want to come to Jesus Christ, then what it requires is a heart decision, a belief in your heart. I believe that Jesus Christ came into the world and died for my sins and rose again to defeat death. And when I put my belief in that, I am forgiven and I am set apart into salvation. And we have testimonies of that today. With, uh, for those of you who saw the baptisms this morning in the first service, we had people, person after person, people from this ministry, who stood up in front of the church and said, I believed on Jesus Christ. And because I believed on Jesus Christ, my whole life's trajectory is changed. And the message, message of, of Romans chapter 10 is that salvation is through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, for the, for the Jew, this was a really hard thing to, to, to draw a conclusion about. It's very difficult for the Jewish people who had this long heritage and this long history with God to reckon the fact that the Messiah had come and that really they missed it. And so there's a stumbling block in their, in their hardness of heart, in their inability to say, yeah, Jesus Christ is the Messiah and I'm going to believe in Him. In their inability to do that, God gives them over to their hardness and, and they struggle to believe. It's hard. But listen to me. I, heard, I had a conversation with Andrew the other day. And maybe it was this morning. I can't even remember. And he said, he said something uh, about someone that, was, that was, uh, believes this way. Okay, About a, a people he's come in contact who believe this way. Who believe that the, that, that the salvation of the Bible is, is cheap and easy. There's people in the world that believe that because so many other people are caught up in religious activity that they can't believe that it's as easy as a free gift extended to them by God. They believe that it has to be about religion, all these things that we have to do. And we're so used to this idea of living religiously and, and, and walking such a straight line. And if I do this and don't do that, that I'll find acceptance in God. That we get blinded and we forget that the path actually, the way to God is free. It's free. And it's not cheap. Because you know what? It costs God everything. Jesus Christ came into this world not to be received as a king, but to die on a cross. And when He did so, I don't know if you've read the story, but God, had to turn, God the Father had to turn His very back on His Son. And, the, and, the, and the, their midday, the sun should be shining. The entire earth goes black because God can't stand to look upon His Son, Jesus Christ. He can't stand to see his son suffer. It cost God everything. It's free, but it's not cheap. Our salvation is not cheap. And Matthew chapter 7 says it so. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. 
But here's our salvation. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. That goes for all of mankind, not just the Jewish people, but for all of mankind. It's difficult for people to find their way because the gate is narrow and the path is straight. In other words, what God is saying here is that it's going to cost you your life to receive Him. It's going to cost you everything to walk that narrow path. You don't get to just perform religious activity any way you see fit and follow some sort of law or religious perspective. No, 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 no. Salvation is very simple. It's very straight. It's a narrow gate and it comes through Jesus Christ. And either you receive that or you don't. And for the Jewish people, it was very difficult to receive that because of their religiosity. Now we find ourselves in chapter 11 and we're looking at Israel's future. In chapter 11, we find an examination of God's unconditional nature. God's, of God's unconditional nature to preserve His promises towards Israel. He preserves His word. Okay? God does not break His promises. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 very simply says it for us. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Very simple. So the things that God extended in terms of promises, in terms of covenant with His people Israel... He's preserving those even to today. And we can look. I'm not going to give a history lesson. Maybe, maybe at some point, Connor or Kenna or some of you, those of you, Carlo, that you guys went to Israel, they just got back on Tuesday from a two-week trip to Israel. And someone gave them a tour of Israel. And I'm sure that the whole week was riddled with future Israel. And you probably saw it with such great clarity how God has preserved His people. And in fact, one of the most amazing things has happened, I don't know if you know this, but in the last uh, 60 years, God took a people that was dispersed throughout the whole world. The Jewish people were spread apart throughout the whole world. There was no nation of Israel. There was no sovereign country. And God has brought them back to a nation state and is preparing for His return. There's something crazy going on in the world, and you can believe it or not, but it's prophesied in the Old Testament. God talks about it long before. And we're even going to be looking at some of that today. Again, I don't want this to be too academic, but I want to give you insight into how God has, what God has said about His people is going to come true. It will absolutely be true. And Paul makes it clear that as long as, 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 as um, the nation of Israel is in this, uh, what we're going to refer to as God, God is postponing His promises towards the nation. And as long as they're in this state, He has not forgotten them. And He is working even now to prepare a way. Okay? So, so we must not apply chapter 11. Just like we can't really apply chapter 9 and 10 to the church. We have to apply it solely to the nation of Israel. People get hung up on this. Okay. Now, we live in a world where we, we're all about cultural appropriation. And it's a real hot topic right now. Right? We hear about it in the news. We hear about it in the classroom. There's cultural appropriation. You know, when a white guy gets a tribal tattoo. Right? Or like, you know, whatever it is, right? We're just full of, we're just full of that. And you know, some of that's ignorance, right? We recognize that some of it's, it's dangerous when you steal people's culture. But, but, but a lot of it's actually just the nature of living in a melting pot society. Look around the room. Right? If I spend enough time around people from 
India or Africa or from Latin America, I'm going to pick up on things about them and I'm going to adopt those things. Now that's different. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is that there's a spirit in the world today, in the church age, where Christians, Gentile Christians, are seeking to steal the promises that belong to Israel and apply them to the contemporary church. Okay, now, we're, again, we're not going to get into this. This is, this is called replacement theology. And, it, and within that is a whole set of heresies that we have to be very careful of. And, and as you grow in the Lord, you're going to hear more about this, people that, that want to debate this topic, and you're going to see that this is a wicked thing. This is a wicked thing, mainly because Romans chapter 11 says that God has not given up on the nation of Israel. So if we, if we start giving up on the nation of Israel, if we write them off, then we are doing great injustice to our faith, first of all. And second of all, we're calling what God calls good evil. And we just shouldn't do that. We need to take God at His promises. And in chapter 11, what we learn is God is not done with Israel. That's our first key point. God is not done with Israel. The promises extended to Abraham and his seed are not canceled. They're only postponed. And while the Gentiles are now children... You guys there? Is it it messed up? You might be messed up over there. Okay, so the key point, I'll say it again. The key point is, God is not done with Israel. And so while the Gentiles are now children of Abraham, right? that's very clear in Galatians, we are children of Abraham, just like the Jews are. We We come to that place through faith. And we are not privy to the unique blessings that come with being the seed of Abraham. Does this make sense to everybody? Uh, see, this is where it gets academic. And if you're not focusing in and locking in with me, this is the part that can be confusing if you're new to the Bible. As a believer, you are born into Abraham through faith. Abraham was a man of faith. He trusted the Lord and he entered into the family of God through faith. And likewise, we do the same through Jesus Christ. But we are not privy to the blessings, the unique blessings that belong to the seed of Abraham. Now listen to me. Truly, the Israelites are unique people. And their ultimate fulfillment awaits in Christ's coming again. When the nation who rejected Him will hail Him. It's coming. That day's coming. Because the Bible says it's so. So let's begin looking at the proofs of this. The witnesses of chapter 11. So let me explain it to you this way. In chapter 11, what we find is that there are five divisions here, five unique witnesses that point to the hope that Israel has in the promises of God. Five. Okay? And the very first one is Paul. Are things back in order? Okay? The very first proof, the very first witness of this hope is Paul himself. Now, in this case, Paul is still addressing, we're going to read this question in a second, Paul is still addressing the fears that the believing Jews might have concerning their unsaved brethren. And he begins by asking a question on their behalf, a hypothetical question. He's presuming that the Jews are about to ask this question, and so he jumps ahead of them. He asks the question for them, and then he addresses it. Okay, so this is, what, this is the question. Romans chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, have God cast away His people, the Jewish people? And the answer is, God forbid, right? God forbid. The response is, if I can be saved, Paul's response, this is Paul's response, listen, if I can be saved, 
then Israel can be saved. If I can be saved, then Israel can be saved. Look at the rest of the verse. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so listen, this is what Paul's saying. So do not grow hopeless. Jewish believers, do not grow hopeless. Your brethren are not lost. You know why I know that? Because I am your brethren and I was saved. I was saved. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was the most Jewish Jew that ever existed. I mean, the man was, was trained. A Pharisee. A judge over Israel. I mean, Paul was present at the the initial persecution of the early Christians. He was present and a participant in the persecution and murder of Christians in the name of, of the God of the Old Testament, right? Of the covenant, the God of the covenant. And he was very much a Jew, a privileged Jew. And what he says is, God has not forgotten you because he has not forgotten me. And Paul's testimony of salvation is recorded, listen, it's recorded three times in the book of Acts. Three times, that's how important it is. Paul's testimony of salvation is recorded three times in Acts, it's declared. Why? As a testimony of how God is drawing the Jewish people to himself. Paul's experience, now Paul's experience differs a little bit. In terms of his salvation. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to point something out. Paul wanted to be a testimony. So that people might believe. That's what he wanted. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. There you go. He says this to, uh, to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all ex- ex- acceptation. I always have a hard time with that word. Acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. See, what Paul is saying is there is hope for Israel because there's hope for me. I once did not believe that Jesus Christ was the hope, and now I do. And I want everyone to know that Jesus Christ is the way because what he's done in my life. Because what he's done in my life, I want my life to be a pattern, a testimony, an example to the world of who Christ is. That's what I desire. Now Paul's experience in terms of his salvation was a little bit different. I don't know if you've read the story, but he's on this road and Jesus comes to him in a shining light and blinds him and he falls to the ground. And and I don't know about you, but my salvation didn't look like that. My salvation took place in a little Sunday school room. And I went forward at the end of a service, and I bowed down with my Sunday school teacher, Gertrude, or whatever her name was. I don't know who she was. Okay, some lady that I, I don't know if she's still with us or not, but she was a lot older than me. Okay, and I bowed my knee, and when I recognized the gospel to be true, I called upon the Lord for forgiveness. There was no bright and shining light. I didn't fall down. I wasn't blinded. But I received the gospel. But I want to say this, um, and that's probably similar to maybe some of your experiences. And if you haven't experienced salvation, I want to explain something to you. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came into this world and that He died for your sins and rose again, that you might be set free and you have not called upon Him for forgiveness, you might believe it, but you haven't called upon Him, then you're not yet saved. You require the calling. You need to cry out to Him for forgiveness in order for the relationship to begin. 
Right? That's like, that's like saying, in high school I dated my wife. That's like saying, to, oh, I, I, I believe she's the one for me. And um, I, I want to marry her. And I love her, and she's pretty, and, um, and then never, ever actually going and introducing myself. It's not right for you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came into the world. It's not good enough to just believe that. He wants to enter into a relationship with you, and that requires you meeting Him at the place of forgiveness. You understand me? So, so some of you need to be there. But here's the point. Paul's pattern... His, his blinding, the, 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 the presence of Jesus Christ actually looks a lot like the salvation that the Jews are going to receive. It is a pattern for the Jewish people. His experience was a supernatural power of Christ present in his midst. And the Jewish people are going to experience the same thing. And so let me pull you back to the Old Testament for a moment. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Are you guys with me? This is where it's like, ah. Uh, Right? You, I could lose you real quick right here. You know, Zechariah, you didn't even know that that was a book in the Old Testament. Right? So go to the front where it's got the listing. Find out what page number it is. I'll give you a moment. You can fiddle your way there. Or if, if, you, if you feel like it, you can just read along up here. Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 1. Here's a prophecy of the salvation of the nation of Israel that's to come. And it looks a lot like Paul's. His experience. Behold... The day of the Lord cometh. Now, whenever you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, what you can recognize is that that is when the presence of Jesus Christ comes at the second advent, and His power is known on this earth, His physical presence. He comes back to claim what belongs to Him. That's the day of the Lord. When you, when you see that phrase anywhere in Scripture, you can know that it's talking about that. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to, pa- to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the house, uh, houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from, from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as he fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Okay, now this is one of many pictures painted for us in the Old Testament of this experience of a future time, which we refer to as the the tribulation, where the Jews will find themselves in a position of oppression. And Jesus Christ shows up to deliver them. In His physical presence, He comes and He enters in and He does battle on their behalf. And He rescues them and He delivers them to a place of safety. Do you understand? And when that day happens, the entire nation will no longer be confused about who their king is. The nation of Israel will no longer be confused about who the true Messiah is. There's coming a day where the remnant will no longer be a remnant. They will be a people who are set aside and devoted to worshiping the God that they missed the first time around. They won't be able to miss it the second time. Because He's going to come on their behalf. 
Now, what I want to point to you real quick in terms of our personal application is this. This is where it gets personal for you and me. Paul's making this testimony very clear. Like, my life looks like your life, looks like what the nation will someday look like. I came to a place of salvation. I decided on my own, of my own volition, that I wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And you can too. And here's key point number two. Never underestimate the power of personal testimony. Never underestimate the power of personal testimony. Now what do I mean by that? I mean your story of how you came to know Jesus. A lot of us like to tuck those things away and hide them as though they're really these personal moments that we had. You know? <clears throat> when, I, when I first met Montana Rex, uh, you guys are friends with, many of you know him, uh, and I started discipling him and I asked him about his salvation testimony, he was very much uh, reserved about explaining it to me. And I, and I remember having to like, coax it out of him. Because for him, it was this personal thing. He didn't know that really it was the thing about him that was the most important thing and needed to be shared with the whole world. He didn't know that. He, no one had ever taught him that, that, the, the, that his salvation story, how he met Jesus Christ, is actually the most valuable thing that he had. And a lot of times... We don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. We talked about this last week when we, we focused a lot of our attention on this idea that our responsibility as Christians is to be evangelists. It's to go into the world and spread the gospel. Remember, do you guys remember that? Or if you like, like Will Smith style men in black, like lost all men memory of last week. Right? Like are you, do you still have that in the back of your mind, what we looked at last week? I mean, chapter 10, what it taught us is not only how to be saved, but the Christian's responsibility to spread that message in the whole world. And you know, a lot of us said to ourselves at the end of that message during the invitation, well, I don't know how. Well, I don't know how to use the Bible in a way to show people what it means to know Christ. I don't know how to do that. And let me, let me present this to you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know how you met Him, then yes, you do. You do know how to tell people about Christ because your personal testimony is powerful. It's powerful. And it's not to be hidden. It's a tool that God's given you to use to profess His name. And so our first witness to the hope of the Jewish people and their future salvation is Paul. <laughs> and we're going to be able to get the second one. We're going to knock the second one out. There's five of these suckers. All right? The second witness that we need to look at is the witness of Elijah. Okay? Elijah of the Old Testament. Okay? You read about his, his story in 1 Kings. He was a prophet to the nation of Israel in a time where the nation of Israel was completely turned away from God. Okay? They weren't following God. They were following wickedness. They were following the, the gods of the nations around them, specifically Baal. Have you guys heard, the, heard that name before? Baal? They're following Baal. Let's look, at, let's look real quick at Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 2, and we'll read and get some context here. So Paul says, God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. Right? Which He foreknew from the days of Abraham. What ye not, what the Scripture saith of Elias, or Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone. He says, I am left alone, and, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? 
I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So this is Paul relaying the testimony of Elijah from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 18, if you feel like writing that down. Now let me explain to you this story just a little bit. The prophet Elijah is, is very much, in terms of his declaration, he's a bit alone. Okay? And what's going on is you have this wicked king Ahab, and you have his prophets. There's, he has 450 prophets that, that are prophets of Baal. They're, they're wicked, and, and they're, they're spreading their doctrine to the point where the Jews have submitted to it, and they're also worshiping Baal, just like the wicked nations. Now there's this great showdown. It's one of the coolest showdowns in all of Scripture. Okay? Where Elijah basically says, bring your prophets out to meet me. And we'll figure out who the real living God is. Anybody familiar with this story? Okay? We'll figure out who the real living God is. And so what he does is he says, okay, I want you to chop up um, a a piece of cattle, an oxen. I want you to lay it out on an altar. And I want want it to, to set it on a bunch of branches and sticks. Okay? And I want you to build a moat around it. Okay? And what he says is, if your prophets can call to Baal, and, 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 and the, 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 the Baal would catch this altar on fire, then the new Jewish people should worship Baal. Cool. You won. I'll walk away. I'll go my way. Okay? So what happens? You guys, you guys remember this? The prophets of Baal start praying to Baal. And they spend the majority of the day falling on the ground. Like when the the initial prayer is not working. They go out, they pull out all the stops. They start cutting themselves. They're tearing their clothes. They're falling on the ground. It ain't a good day for these guys. And what happens is, at the end end of their, their prayer, nothing happens. Baal is like all the other gods of this world. He's not really real. And it's funny. It's, Elijah says this thing. He says, is, is your God like uh, out walking around? Maybe he doesn't hear you. Maybe he's just not answering the phone. Okay? Is he out like hanging out like all the other gods do? Is he just like going and walking around, having a good time, journeying, pursuing different things? He's like mocking them, right? Elijah's so cool. But he gets uncool. We're going to talk about when Elijah gets uncool here in a minute. So Elijah says, okay, this is what I want you to do. And he calls the servants to pour four barrels of water over the top of the sacrifice. Four large barrels over it. And he says, pour the barrels of water over just so you know what's up. Okay, just, just in case you're confused and you think that this is a magic trick. I'm going to make it very clear to you that this is God at work. And so they pour four barrels of water over, over the sacrifice. Then he says, no, not good enough, we'll do it again. So they go and they get more water. And the water begins to pool in the moat. And it covers the wood. And it, and it covers the sacrifice. And then second time, it's not enough. He says, go back and do it one more time. And so 12 barrels of water overflowing, dripping off the wood. And this dude, he prays to God and he says, Your people are so far from me, Lord. Would you show them that you're the one true God? And rain fire down on the sacrifice now. And a fire comes down from heaven and scorches the altar. 
And it, it says that it licks up all the water. So all the water that was pulled around, it's gone, it's scorched. It's, and God has proven to be real. And what happens is, the Jewish people that were standing around witnessing this, they grab their swords and they kill all 450 of the false prophets. They kill them, they slay them, and they say, we want no more of this false god. Pretty awesome, right? And here's the crummy thing. There's this wicked queen, her name's Jezebel. Right, you guys know it because Jezebel is like the term in rap songs for like a, you know, Delilah, Jezebel. These are the names that are known because of the women that men are supposed to watch out for, right? So there's this woman, her name's Jezebel. And she, she's wicked as well. And she has prophets and she has, uh, uh, they worship false idols. And, and what, what Elijah hears is that Jezebel is going to send people after him to kill him. And so he runs away in fear. What? Right? Like, it's, it's as though Elijah has forgotten what God just did, right? And that happens, right? We do that too. We forget the power of God. We forget the promises of God. Elijah did that. Now, what's recorded for us in Romans is this conversation that Elijah has hiding out underneath the juniper tree. Okay? He has this conversation with the Lord in hiding. And what he says to God is, is essentially this, Lord, I'm all alone. And I am ministering, but Israel has forsaken you, and, and I'm going to be killed just like all the other prophets. And here I am, woe is me, I'm all alone. And God's response to him was, you are not alone. There are more like you. And in fact, there are 7,000 people who have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. Now why is it that Paul includes this? In, our, in, our, in Romans chapter 11, what is the significance of this? Okay, let's try to get our context back. Are you ready? So you've got Jewish people, Jewish Christians, who've just come to a saving knowledge of God. And they want reassurance that God's not done with Israel. And what Paul says is, he gives them the story of Elijah, where God says, I'm not done. There's a remnant. There are people who've not yet bowed their knee to Baal. And what Paul's saying is, look guys, look. There are Jewish people who are coming to know God. He is not done with you. Paul's point is, while it seems like the Jews have forgotten God, and it appears as though God has forgotten them, the truth is He is still working in their midst. And inspirationally, we should recognize this, because we live in a world, when we look at Christians around us, a lot of times we grow dismayed as well, don't we? Maybe just like these Jew, Jewish Christians who, who, who felt alone in their faith. Like, where are our brethren at? Why, why aren't the Jews taking this seriously? We too, as Christians, can look around at Christianity and say to ourselves, where are the Christians who really believe God's Word? I feel like, I feel like I'm really alone in my faith. When I look at my family, they call themselves Christians, but not a one of them reads their Bible. Not a one of them goes to church. Not a one of them professes Christ. Not a one of them is witnessing at their, at their job or at their work. I mean, and we look around and we're like, what has happened? And what God is telling us inspirationally through this passage is that God has preserved a remnant with the intent that He might use them to mightily work in a dark world. Who wants to be a part of that remnant? 
Who, who is it in this room that would say, if I'm the only one, if there's only just a few of us, if there's only just a band of brothers and sisters who are willing to go into the world and profess Christ and live life on the edge and be radical for our faith because we believe the word of God, then so be it. God's going to use us to revolutionize and revive this earth for his namesake. He's going to use me. And I don't care what the other Christians are doing. The people who are just Christian in name, I don't care what they're doing. I don't care about their services. I don't care about their ceremony. And I don't care about their religion. What I care about is serving my God. That's what I'm going to do, even if it's just me. There's always a remnant ready to help revive the world. That's principled for us in Scripture. Now look at verse 6 of Romans chapter 11. Verse 6. And if by grace, then it is not uh, no more of works. In other words, this grace that's been extended, it has to be by that, not of our works. Now that's really important for the Jews to know because they're super focused on doing their religious Jewish activities. That's, they're really focused on doing that, right? So it's important for them to hear that. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So if grace comes by working, then that's not grace. So what he's trying to do is say, if you make... Uh, uh, grace to God and acceptance in God about doing something. Now, I'm, 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 to be honest with you, like let's be real honest, this is where we're most of Christianity is, is they think that grace comes by their works. And if they do these things, if they're baptized as a child, if they attend church, if they go to confession, if they're a part of confirmation, then they're saved, Right? And Paul clarifies that for the Jews right here, that your laws and your rules are of no significance in light of grace. And if if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Like, let's get our definitions straight. Okay? Verse 7, That then Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it, is, as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their tables be made a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their, their, uh, their back alway. Okay, so listen to me. This is very important to understand. Basically what Paul is saying here is this is that the Jewish people are blinded by their own works. That their path to God has been tainted by their heritage, by their lineage. And when Jesus Christ was presented to them, they could not receive it. They didn't know how because they were so caught up in religious activity. They didn't know how to receive the free grace of God. And what they did is they turned to their works. Now, what David says in Psalm chapter 69 is he prophesies this. And he says their table was made a snare. In other words, their observations and their traditions became their own deception. Am I losing you? Because here comes the main point. Key point number three says this. Religion is a trap that blinds people to the hope of Jesus. Religion is a trap that blinds people to the hope of Jesus. You know, they'd harden their hearts... Uh, to the Lord. And as we learn in Romans chapter 9, they become like Pharaoh in many ways. Pharaoh becomes an example of how they voluntarily chose to harden their heart. And God said, okay, 
Good luck with that. And so, they're, they're, listen, this is basically what happens. In this passage, God says that the nation of Israel has become blind. Okay? In other words, they've shut their eyes voluntarily to the truth of the gospel. What happens when you shut your eyes? Now, I, I don't know about you. I work real hard during the day, hanging out with high school kids all day long, cleaning up after their messes. And I come home, and I've got you guys to deal with. <laughs> and I've got three children at home and a wife and I've got to clean my house and Taylor's giving me a look like no, no, no you're, it's just sugar plums and prairie with you you're special you don't cause me any problems life is just peaches no, no, no it's tiring, right? life's tiring and so I go when I go to my bed at the end of the night I lay my head down and what, the instant I close my eyes I do what? yeah and so God knows that He's let them fall asleep. Key point number four. The answer for the sleepiness of religion is the light of of grace. The answer for the sleepiness of religion is the light of grace. That's the answer. So, my son Shepard, when he wakes up in the morning, he's awake. He's ready to go. School today, Dad? Let's do it. Right? Let's do it. So he's got to wear a uniform. He gets his old uniform on. He's ready to go. Now, my daughter, on the other hand, Clementine, okay? Uh, I go into her room in the morning, and she's laying in bed. And I say, baby, it's time to get up. And I've got to be real gentle. I love you. It's good to see you. Are you ready for your day? You're going to Grandma and Grandpa's house today. And like I try to make it sound like it's the best thing ever. And she's always just forever pulling the covers over her head. Now let me explain to you what works. Now it doesn't come easy. Okay? I've got to fight for it. Okay? But what I do is I'll come in. if like I don't have time for the charades. I come in and I flip the light on. Right? The flesh just rises to the surface and she lashes out. And she's, she's like, Dad. she always says daddy in the high-pitched voice. That's bad. Okay? And so, but, I'm telling you, it's, when, when, when it's dark and it's, and it's calm and the blankets are over her head, she remains in that slumber and it's very hard to get her out of it. But when I come in and I do the hard thing of flipping the light on and extending to her the opportunity to participate with us in the day, that's hard to be denied. She's not going to stay awake with that light on. Now let me explain it to you like this. In our world today, people are asleep. You know, the Jewish people are sleeping. They're not awake to the message of Jesus Christ. There are people in our lives who are not awake or alive. They're asleep in their religion. They're asleep in it. They're comfortable there. They're Catholic because their parents were Catholic. They're Muslim because their, their parents were Muslim. They were born into it. And, and so what they do is they have a heritage of faith. And they sleep there. They're in a slumber. And the truth is, the only way of waking them up to forgiveness and to be set free and to be justified in the sake of God, in the, in the eyes of God, is to turn the light of grace on and to pour grace—the grace of God's word, the grace of His Spirit, the grace of our love—onto them and give them the opportunity to wake up. That's what turning the light is. Uh, turning the light on is. And so here's my point to you. We'll end here and we'll have to cover the other witnesses next week. But listen, here's the point. 
When God says something, it's so. When God makes a promise to the nation of Israel, it's so. When He makes a promise to the Gentile church, it's so. When God says, I'm coming again, it's so. When God says there's a judgment seat, and one day every person will stand before me and answer for their lives, it's so. When God says, listen, when I leave, Christians, I leave you with a power greater than than me, than the presence of me myself. I leave you with the Holy Spirit, and and, and it will comfort you and strengthen you, and I leave you in my power, in my stead, the Spirit. And it is so. I mean, it's so in my life. I know it's so. The promises that God extends to us, when He says them, He means them. And we have to believe Him. And some of us struggle with belief. And you know how I get over belief, or disbelief? How I get over disbelief? Is I study the Word, and I try it. I test it. Okay, God, you said this, so I'm praying for that. And I'm going to live as though that's true. And then God makes it a reality. And I believe Him. And so here's my point to you is this. God's promises are sure. And when He extends to us blessing and promise, we just need to live in light of those things. That's what faith is, is living in light of the promises. Here's the other thing that we need to know. Is that the answer for people's slumber and their religion... When it seems like, listen to me, when it seems like it's really hard to reach people, that's no concern of yours. When it seems like people don't want to receive Christ, I mean, Paul's point really at the end of the day, that's no concern of yours. God's got that under control. What you need to be concerned with, Christian, is pursuing Him and preaching the Word and bringing light. And people get the choice. They can receive it or not. But you can't be so distraught over people refusing that you, that, you grow, grow, that you grow weary. Our job is to preach the gospel. Are you doing that? That's my question to you. Are you preaching the gospel? Are you a light in this world? If not, that needs to change. Conviction needs to come. And you need to be preaching the gospel in your school, in your workplace, among your family and friends. This is what we need to be about. Are you, under, are you hearing me? Okay, so that's the invitation. If you need to reckon something in your mind, if you need to get it straightened out, and this is your opportunity in this time of worship, as the worship team comes up and, and, and dismisses us, this is your opportunity to get things right with the Lord. And I ask that you do that, that you grab somebody to help you do that. Pull them aside, come to the front, pray, pray at your seat, come grab me if you need to. But let's get things right with the Lord so that we believe Him for more and we do what He asks, that we obey Him in faith. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your promises. And Lord, as we get ready to leave, I know that the temptation for a lot of us is going to be to kind of flip our brain right now. We're flipping the way we're thinking. We're no longer engaged. And uh, we're going to start thinking about lunch and all these other things that seem to get in the way of what we've got going on this afternoon. Um, But Lord, I just ask that You would help us to set our affection on You. And and to look to you and say, God, where is it that my life does not line up with the truth of your word? Where is it that I'm struggling to believe you? In what areas of my life do do they don't line up to who your son Jesus Christ is and the things that he's done for me? Help me, God, to come before you and confess those faults that I might move forward in faith. 
And if there's anybody in here today, Lord, please speak to them right now. Anybody that needs to deal with something, give them the strength to do that and not to hurry out of here and be focused on other things. It's really easy to ignore you and to go back to slumber, to go back to sleepiness. But Lord, I mean, for the sake of being culturally relevant, we need to be woke. I mean, that's it. We need to be woke. And we like to live a lie. And let truth rule. Let absolute truth rule today in our hearts and our minds. In your Son's name, Amen.